0: Well, good morning. I am very uh, excited to be uh, with you this morning. And well, like Mac mentioned this morning, we're going to be studying uh, in the gospel of John and we'll be in verse nine, but we're not going to jump right into verse nine. We're looking at a story of a man born blind. And I, I confess, I don't know what that's like to be born blind. I don't know what it's like to be blind. And I imagine that, that you don't know what it's like to be born blind. Um, people experience various levels of blindness, maybe as they get older, or if there are injuries or anything like that. But, but to have never been able to see visually would be something that I have a hard time comprehending. So um, I'd, I'd like to ask you to close your eyes for a moment and do the best you can. I'm closing my eyes too, so I'm trusting you're not peeking. Um, Do the best you can to imagine that you have no idea what anything looks like. The only way that you can comprehend what something is like is to to feel it, um, to maybe smell it, um, but you can't see it. So then if a dog climbs up on your lap and you want to pet that dog, and then you start to feel, well, this dog has this type of fur. But you don't know what color the fur is. In fact, you don't even know what color really is. But you can feel the dog, but you don't know uh, what what shape its nose is, or how tall it is, or is it, you know, round or skinny, or long or short. You can do your best to try to feel that dog as you pet it, but Um, But you don't know really what what does a dog's paw look like? What does a dog's tail look like? You know, we we take for granted what it is to understand what something even looks like. And um, this man that we're going to study about today was a guy that was born blind. He had no idea what anything looked like. So open your eyes. And you were peeking. You just opened your eyes before I did. Okay, you're just that quick. Okay, I'll I'll trust you on that. All right. (laughs) Um, There's a video here that we're gonna watch uh, where a man born blind uh, tries to describe what that is like to have never been able to see. So uh, so let's take a look at it.
1: How does it work for me? What is it? Perspective. I don't know. So being blind since birth, I've never seen color. I don't have any concept of what it is. I mean, I've never seen anything. There's this whole part of vocabulary, of language, that doesn't mean anything to me. Over the years, there's people have tried and tried and tried to explain color to me, and I just don't understand it. I think the best way to show you is to try and explain to someone who's never heard before what the ocean sounds like or what the birds sound like. And that's where color is for me. Because somebody who's never heard doesn't know what those things are, has no concept, none. And, and people will try and explain a sense with another sense. It's like the way this smells maybe, that's what a particular color, what? So you're gonna tell me you're gonna explain what color looks like by my nose? That doesn't make any bloody sense at all. So when somebody says something's red to me, I don't quite get it. I know that red is fire, or a stoplight is red. Or when someone says you're in the red, You know, that means you're in some trouble, like financial trouble. Again, just stuff that I picked up from hearing about it, but I don't know what it looks like. Blue. Blue is the water is blue. Cold or ice is blue. Uh, The sky is blue. Now, how can the sky and ice be the same thing? That's weird to me, but what's that? Same color, same color, means two completely different things. I don't get it. I hear a lot about orange, Is an orange actually orange? The fruit? I know nothing rhymes with it. There's nothing that rhymes with orange, is there? Way to go, orange. (laughs) Way to be involved in poetry and song. (laughs) Black. What's black? Black is supposed to be all the colors all smushed together. And then white is the absence of color. So when I hear black and white, to me they're just opposites, right? Because one has everything and the other has none. And then there are things that don't have color. Like water. But it doesn't have color, but the ocean does. I don't get that. Color is hard. How do you sighted people keep them all straight? <laughs> I can't even think of anything that's indigo. A car. Right? Is that, they always have weird colors for cars. I remember one time, a long time ago, I was buying a car with somebody. And they said, how about heather mist? I was like, what? I've never <laughs> even heard of that. Nothing else in the world is heather mist.
0: so there's a guy who has never seen color before in his life trying to explain what it would be like to conceptualize color it's interesting to me because he can use analogy or you know people can try to explain well it's you know like he said fire is red okay but that doesn't you know when, when I look at Scott's shirt it's kind of reddish redly but that's because I know I can see it. So if someone told me Scott's shirt is a color of fire, I still don't know what that looks like because I've never seen red if I've been born blind. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the reason I want to take a minute and have us um, it, try to enter into that experience is because the story that we're looking at today is the story of a man who was born blind, he had no idea what anything looked like, and I think it, it's very appropriate for us to take a moment and try to understand what that means exactly. So uh, the story is in the Gospel of John. Before we look at the story itself, I, I want us to get a little bit of context for the Gospel of John. You know, we were just kind of jumping right into the middle of the narrative, and uh, I wouldn't want us to be grinding some gears or anything. So a little bit of context. You, you have on your... Um, on your handout, a little chart that, that shows a, uh, some summaries of the Gospel of John here. Um, John shows Jesus as the perfect Son of God made flesh. That's, that's one of the big themes of the Gospel of John. That when, when John is describing Jesus, he's showing him as, as the perfect Son of God who came in the flesh. So let's look at John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it goes on and says, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything was made that, uh, 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 and without him was not anything made that was made. There we go. Now, we jump down to verse 14, and we see that John says, the word, that word that he just spoke of, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that word, that eternal God existing before he created time, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John tells us that story of Jesus. And the way that John tells that story, he arranges two sets of seven. And that's what you have on that chart there. Uh, you have, uh, on, on the one hand, there are some I am statements where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, I am the vine. These are the statements that he's making. Um about who who I am. Uh, John also shows us seven signs that Jesus performed. So we could look at that list of the signs. He turned water into wine. He healed the official's son. Um, he healed a, a man that was born lame. He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He healed a man born blind. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, it's important to know that in, in the Gospels, when we see someone, Jesus, performing miracles, these miracles aren't just like to impress people. The miracles are to, to be the evidence to back up the claim that Jesus is making. I am this. I am this. And then he says, here, let me prove it to you. And, and he does some signs or some wonders, some miracles. And so John arranges these uh, in, in the way that, that God inspired him to do that. The, there are two that we're going to look at there, the the bold on the left, the light of the world, he said that in chapter 8, and then the the very next sign that Jesus performed was the healing of the blind man in chapter 9. So, on a little coincidental that he says, I'm the light of the world, and then he goes and he gives someone sight, and we'll see that in the text in a little bit. So, I just wanted to give you that big picture view of uh, the Gospel of John so that you could see what we're entering into in chapter 9. So let's go ahead and turn to chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible to call your own, then please steal the one in the seat pocket in front of you. Can't really steal it because we're giving it to you for free, but uh, would love to have you call that your own if you don't have one. And if you didn't bring one today, you can use that one in front of you and turn to John chapter 9. And... As we look at this story, we see that uh, the disciples ask Jesus some questions. They're, they're walking along, and uh, and they see this guy that was born blind. So let's look in chapter nine, verse one. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, "Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents?" That he was born blind. Hmm. <laughs> there is a lot there <laughs> in just in those two verses. We could preach several weeks of sermons just in those two verses. There are some assumptions that the, the disciples make there. Two big assumptions that I see in, in there. The first one is that um, it is apparently possible to be punished for sins at birth. Now that may mean that the disciples assumed that Jesus or God, uh, one and the same. That, that God knew the sins that this man would commit, and so He was just pre-punishing. Or maybe the disciples assumed that uh, may, maybe there was some sort of influence of Platonic philosophy with you know Plato and Socrates and all those guys, and maybe there was some concept of the pre-existence of the soul or or the reincarnation, and maybe He was a Horrible, you know, sleaze bucket in his previous life, and so now he was born as a blind guy. We don't really know what the assumptions are, like what was driving these assumptions. But it's interesting that they would say, "Okay, Jesus, who is it? Whose fault is it that he was born blind? Was it his parents that were sinners? Was it him that sinned?" See, the other assumption there is obviously uh, suffering is a result of God punishing sin. They didn't leave room for anything else right so so the other assumption there is that suffering indicates sin. Have you ever suffered <laughs> you uh, um Gail right now right maybe I don't know if she's suffering right now, but her leg was seriously broken, like did she sin, and God was punishing her well. I, I don't know, I hadn't talked to her about that, but I guess it's possible, (laughs) but the, the assumption that someone had to have sinned in order for there to be suffering is a very presumptuous assumption, but not without basis. We read in the story of Job, where Job's friends come to him and say, okay, Job, you were really righteous. We know this because you had all this wealth and this big family and all this honor. And you must have had some sin because look what God did to you. You lost it all. So Job, our advice to you is to repent of that sin that you're not telling us about. And then God will restore everything to you. And Job says, no, um, I'm actually good with God. I don't know what's going on. I sure would like to talk to him about it. And his friends say, no, no, we know how God works, and you're suffering, so that means he's punishing you for sin, so really, Job, you ought to repent. And they go around and around and around, that's the story of Job, until Job finally does get to talk to God, and he basically says, oh, never mind. (laughs) But now, those friends of Job, that way of thinking was not uncommon in that day, And we actually see that uh, borne out in in Deuteronomy when God tells the people, when you enter the land, if you are faithful to me, I will bless your socks off. Your kneading bowl will just be overflowing. You'll have so much fruit on the vine that it'll just, you can't, collected all your your bank account's just going to be going up and up and up and up and up and you know you're going to have people knocking on your door saying hey can i clean your house for you i mean it's just it's crazy god's just going to bless you right obey me and i will bless your socks off (laughs) and then and then god says but if you disobey me boy how do I tell you what it's not going to be good for you if you disobey me I will, your bank account will go down and down and down and your house is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and you're going to be starving and you're going to be diseased and you, your sons will be born blind, it says in Deuteronomy, if you disobey me. So we need to be careful in being too quick to pass judgment on the disciples or Job's friends. Does it mean that God always... Is punishing someone if they are suffering? No, not by any means. And that's one of the reasons that we, we see Jesus respond in the way that he does here. Another assumption or another um, interesting observation in their question is that uh, I, I see them caring more about this riddle than they would about relief. Relief. Now, this is a bit of an assumption on my part, so if you don't see that in the text, I'm totally okay with that. But they're walking by, and they see this guy that's been blind from birth. And, And they're like, hey, there's a good one. Hey, Jesus, how would you answer that question? There's a fun little theological discussion. Jesus, let's talk about that for a while. Teach us, Rabbi. There's a guy that's blind, and Jesus does all sorts of crazy, cool miracles. Why not say, hey, Jesus, this guy's born blind. Could you heal him? Could you give him his sight? Wouldn't that be cool? But they're, they're more concerned about the riddle than bringing relief. I'm guilty of that sometimes, being more stuck in my head and thinking rather than actually allowing God's heart to flow through me. But we'll talk about that more later. So then we see Jesus' response. We see, uh, he, he tells them there is a, a third possibility for why suffering might be there. So let's take a look at that. Uh, beginning in verse 3. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow. That the works of God might... You mean my suffering might exist only to give God glory? Okay that's awesome. I mean, wow. If, if me suffering can give God glory, I want, I want God to be glorified in my life. I want everything about me to be lifting him up. And if my suffering can accomplish that, then yeah, okay, God, please do what you will. And God being the ultimate multitasker can accomplish like 5,000 other things in the midst of my suffering, growing me up and growing other people up and doing this for the. I mean, it's amazing how God works. But from my perspective, if my suffering only exists to bring glory to God, then okay. Verse 4 we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, so that's a little weird metaphor, right? We need to do the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. When it's night, no one can work. You know, they didn't have flashlights, electricity back then. They didn't have torches and candles and whatnot. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. I don't think he's talking about working the night shift. It it could be that he's using day and night as a metaphor, perhaps for living and dead. What Jesus could be saying here is, there is a fixed amount of time that we have to get this done. God's given us a mission. God has sent me, Jesus says, into the world to accomplish his will, and we've only got so much time to do it, so let's get busy. You know, you've you've heard the phrase, uh, make hay when the sun shines. No? No? No. No? Some of you have heard the phrase, okay, thank you. I almost thought it was one of those that I made up, and I was, oh no! (laughs) No! Yeah, I grew up on the farm, so there you go. So what Jesus is showing us here is that God's heart is for people. See, the, the disciples, they walked right on by, ask, ask a riddle there. But this third option for suffering could be so that, so that God can be glorified and so that God can love people through people. That's so often how God does that. He loves people through people. And so Jesus says, okay, guys, we have an opportunity. Let's do this. We're not going to just talk theology about why this guy was born blind. We're going to actually do the work that God sent me here to do, that my father sent me here to do. So let's read of the the healing in verse 6 and 7. Having said these things, he spit on the ground. Now, we know Jesus is holy, Right, We know he's perfect. We know he's without sin. But we also knew that he hawked a loogie. <laughs> so, you know, I, it may have been one of those... <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> you know, I, I don't think that Jesus did this and this and then went... <clears throat> you know, I mean, he spit. He's a dude, right? So he spit on the ground. And then, and then he makes a little bit of loogie mud out of it, right? So he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Do you want to be a volunteer so I can dim No, no. <laughs> so he anointed. People sometimes say, oh, I always carry anointing oil with me. <laughs> well, I can just hawk loogie, make some mud. No, okay. So uh, he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, go wash off in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. The guy's probably like, yeah, you don't have to tell me. Like, I can't see, but I heard, and I know what's going on here, and yeah, I'll wash off. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, go wash off in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. Wow a man who had never seen anything came back seeing. (laughs) So you'd think people would be really just like,
1: wow, dude, you can
0: see. That's so cool. No. So let's read how the, the Pharisees, how they responded to this. First, there was a lot of confusion among the people. So verse 8 um, and following. Oh, do I, um, So the Pharisees, they were, um, and as we look at this, uh, we will see the Pharisees. There's a little bit of some irony here. They were blind to who Jesus really was. Um, all they could really see was the Sabbath. That's the, that, they were hung up on the Sabbath. As we will see later on in this story, this happened on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees instead of rejoicing with this guy that he can see for the first time ever they're like mm mm yeah that happened on the sabbath boy we got to get that guy oh, yeah. This guy can see So let's look at these different responses that people have to this miracle beginning in verse 8 The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it's him. Uh, Others said, nah, it just looks like him. But he kept saying, no, dude, it's me. I am him. (laughs) I'm the man. And they're like, no, it's probably just your doppelganger, you know, somebody that looks... And sounds like you and is wearing the same clothes that you were 20 minutes ago, but it's not you. It couldn't be you. He's like, it's me. So they said to him, Well, then, how were your eyes opened? Okay, so obviously there's something different about you. Tell us. Verse 11. He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. This is testimony. This is a miracle. This is somebody saying, can I tell you what Jesus did for me? Can I tell you the difference he's made in my life? This guy doesn't have a theology or a doctrine, you know, degree. He's known Jesus for all of what, 10 minutes, 20 minutes? And he's telling people about Jesus. And it's a very simple story. This is what Jesus did in my life. Verse 12, they said to him, well, then where is he, Jesus? And the guy goes, I don't know. You know, I was blind the last time I saw him. <laughs> it's like, I was couldn't, like, couldn't pick him out from anyone here. Could be standing around, I don't know. Verse 13, so the, the people, the crowds, you know, they, they're a little confused. So they bring the guy to the Pharisees. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, how had he received his sight? And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Okay, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? So there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? Like, like, okay, we're the, the spiritual leaders. We can't agree on whether or not this guy that did this miracle is a sinner or a saint. You're the one that received the miracle. Tell us. Now, it's important to understand that in this day, there was a great um, hostility between Jesus and the Pharisees. They wanted to kill him, and he kept breaking the Sabbath. <laughs> and they would get more and more frustrated. And the crowds, boy, they loved Jesus. You know, the, he was feeding them miraculously. He was walking on water. He was teaching as if he was one with authority and he was stumping the religious leaders of the day. He was calling them out on their hypocrisy. The crowds, they love Jesus. But now this guy, he's getting pulled into the middle of a real sticky wicket. That's a real term. I didn't make it up, right? Sticky wicket. Okay, I have no idea what it means. Apparently it's bad. So this guy gets pulled into a sticky wicket here and the Pharisees are, okay, so what do you think about him? You're the one that received this miracle. He says, well, I think he's a prophet. Okay. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? They just heard the story right so they they they're investigating they're pulling, calling witnesses and so then his parents verse 20 his parents said we know this is our son and that he was born blind but how he now sees we don't know nor do we know who opened his eyes ask him he's of age he will speak for himself his parents didn't want to get mixed up in this controversy between the pharisees and jesus So we see the Pharisees being blind to who Jesus is. All they can see is the Sabbath. And we see that his parents were too scared to acknowledge Jesus. If one of my sons had been born blind and had been begging their whole life, grown man, somebody came and healed them, I'd be that guy's biggest fan. I'd be like, dude, can, can I build your website? <laughs> like, <laughs> the parents were like, yeah. Talk to our son. Wow, real bold. Way to stand for Jesus. They were too scared of the Pharisees to acknowledge Jesus. We know that because verse 22 and following his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus to be Christ, Messiah, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So therefore, his parents had said, Ask him, he is of age. Verse 24, so for the second time, they called the man, the Pharisees, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner, Jesus, right? Like, okay, blind guy that was just healed, and you can see for the first time ever, praise God, the guy that healed you, sinner. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) And the guy's like, uh, hmm, It's weird. So the guy says, verse 25, whether he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know I was blind and now I see. People can argue with you all they want about who Jesus is, but they cannot argue with you about what he's done in your life. So. He doesn't get all caught up in their theological controversy and Messiah this and sinner that. He says, look, I was blind from birth, and I can see. Like, look into my eyes. I can see you. Now, you tell me about Jesus, whatever. I can see you. (laughs) That's a pretty big deal. All right, verse, what are we on? Uh, I, I get excited and lose my place sometimes let's see it's, uh i was blind now i see verse 26 they said to him well what did he do to you uh how did he open your eyes he and he, verse 27 he answered i've told you already and you wouldn't listen uh, why do you want to hear it again do you want to become his disciples <laughs> Ooh, he's getting sassy <laughs> like oh you, you want to buy his commentary series yeah, you want to subscribe to his podcast? Is that why you're so curious about this guy, Jesus? Like, I've already told you. He made spit mud and rubbed it on my face and told me to wash, and I did, and I can see. I already told you that. What, do you want to be his disciple? So then they get angry. Verse 28, they reviled him and said, you are his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. Uh. Like, like, yeah, you, you, you're his disciple. He's a sinner, but we follow Moses as they straightened their priestly robes. We know that God has spoken to Moses. As for this man, we don't know where he came from. Hmm. They actually did know where he came from. They just didn't want to believe it. Verse 30. uh, The man answered, "Well." This is amazing. You, you don't know where he came from, but he healed me. He opened my eyes. This guy, I, I can see, and you don't even know who he is. What? See, they did know. They did know. They just didn't want to accept it. Verse 31, this man that had been born blind says, we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God will listen to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So then they replied to him, You were born in utter sin, and you would dare to teach us? And then they cast him out. Wow. They actually made the same assumption that disciples did in the beginning, didn't they? So then Jesus tells us the the real point of the story. He tells us that it's actually about spiritual blindness. It's actually about spiritual blindness. Verse 35. When Jesus heard that they had cast him out, having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, And who is he, sir, so that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. Okay, don't, don't let that get lost on you. You've seen him. Hey, man born blind, do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, I don't know, who is he? You've seen him. This man had not previously seen Jesus, but now he's having a conversation with him. So Jesus says, Ta-da, it's me. It's me. You've seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. Like, I'm the guy. I'm the man that healed you. I am the word made flesh. Verse thirty-eight. The, the man born blind said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see my faith, that do not see may see. Those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? You know, because they can see. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, oh, we can see, then your guilt remains. Jesus basically is saying, you guys think you're all that. You have no capacity to see me. And so you are blind and you're guilty of that blindness. But those who were blind can now see both spiritually and literally, in this case, <sighs> what a great story you know we 're calling this series this alternate series that we 're doing uh, encounters with Jesus so uh, on on the back side of your handout uh, there's the phrase "There are three types of encounter opportunities and and I use that word opportunities on purpose because each Each one of these people had an opportunity to encounter Jesus, but there was something um, categorically that kept them from maximizing that encounter in some cases. For instance, there is blatant rejection. The Pharisees, right, blatantly rejecting Jesus. Yeah, we know who he is. Yeah, we see him doing miracles. We are choosing in our hearts to reject that guy. We hate him. We don't want anything to do with him there is blatant rejection of Jesus and you may encounter that in the world today you may have been someone who was blatantly rejecting who Jesus is you may be a person now who's saying i don't i don't i'm not willing to accept what the bible says about jesus or what my friend says about jesus i'm choosing to reject that there is a blatant rejection of jesus then in the person of Uh, the, the parents, we see a fearful avoidance of Jesus. This gets a lot of people. You know, you can sit around in coffee shops or in diners and you can talk about whatever you want, but as soon as you bring up, hey, what do you think about Jesus Christ? The conversation usually changes because people would rather avoid that topic. It's because we know that Jesus wants to be the Lord of our life. He is the Lord of the universe, and he wants us to submit to that. And so people would rather just avoid that topic. But we also see this third category, needful acceptance. This blind man, he he needed Jesus. Jesus met him in his point of need, and he responded with, I believe, and then he worshiped. Each one of us has some point of need that only Jesus can satisfy. It may be that need for um, identity. It may be a need for acceptance. It may be a need for um, forgiveness of my past. It may be a need for hope for the future. Whatever that need is that only Jesus can meet, he wants to meet that need. But we need to be willing like this blind man was. You know, the blind guy, he could have said, oh, gross, and walked off and not gone to the pool of Siloam and washed. But he responded in obedience, and he, he received a very changed life. Okay, so then we need to ask ourselves... Um, I've got four questions here. What is the blindness that Jesus wants to heal me of? I've got blind spots. I know I do. Problem is I don't know what's in them because they're my blind spots, right? I mean, we're driving a car and uh, we've got mirrors and everything, but, but there are these those spots that we can't see. They're blind spots. So what is that blindness that I have that Jesus wants to heal me of? Well, for me to grow, I need to, I need to know what I need to grow in. So I can ask God, would you please show me those areas in my life that I'm aware of that I need to grow in? You know, David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, I, I want you to show me me because I can't see me the way you do, God. I want to keep growing. Would you show me? me, so I can grow. And I can go to people that know me and love me, and I can say, if you see something in my life that I need to grow in, would you let me know? It's a scary question to ask, but it's good, because if I want to grow, then then I need, I need to know. Another question we should ask, um, is fear keeping me from proclaiming Jesus? It sure was keeping the parents from proclaiming Jesus and for standing for him. They had a great opportunity. Our son has been blind from birth, and that guy, Jesus Christ from Nazareth, healed him. We're on his team. But they feared. And so they shrunk back in the shadows and said, ask him, he's old enough. So is fear keeping me from proclaiming Jesus? When I'm in the supermarket and I see someone in deep hurt, am I willing to go up to them and ask them what's going on in their life? Take 10 minutes out of my day and listen? Offer to pray? Introduce them to the ultimate solution for whatever it is that's going wrong in their life? Or am I scared that they'll think I'm a wackadoo, so I don't want to take the time? Or when God has done this amazingly awesome thing in my life? Do I go find anyone and everyone and brag on God? Or am I like, oh, they'd probably tell me I'm making it up or think I'm weird. See, we fear people. The parents feared people. But Jesus doesn't want us to fear people. The fear of people is the beginning of wisdom. No, wait, that's not how it goes. <laughs> the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Thirdly, uh, how am I against Jesus? And why have I done that? So the Pharisees, they were blatantly, adamantly against Jesus. Is there any part of my life where I am resisting Jesus? You know, Lord, you, you can have all of me except this little part right here because I'm not really ready to give that to you. Lord, I'll do whatever you want as long as it's not... <laughs> you know. Am I against Jesus? See, we would... I mean, the, the right church answer is, no, I love Jesus. I'll do whatever he says. But, but okay... Are there any, is there an asterisk next to that? You know, a little qualifying statement? Because then I'm resisting him. I'm against him. Fourthly, am I so stuck in thinking that I miss God's heart? Jesus wants to change people's lives. Jesus wants to be intimately connected with me and the people around me. And if I get so caught up in doctrine and theology, and I'm not saying doctrine and theology are bad. It's good to ask questions. It's good to search the scriptures. But boy, if I see the Bible as an end unto itself rather than a means of encountering God, then I am missing the boat like the disciples missed it when they walked right past a need and looked at a riddle. So am I so stuck in thinking that I miss God's heart? Okay, I I need to put this in fast or else Mac will be angry because I'm not leaving her any time to lead worship. Um, Real quick, uh, what has the Father sent me into the world to do? See, Jesus said, I need to be about my Father's business. While it's day, we need to be busy working for God doing what he's called me to do before it's night. So what is it that God has put you on the earth to do? What's your mission? Jesus knew his mission. He let, he let God, the Father, his Father, love people through him everywhere all the time. So what's my mission? I got to think it's something similar. It's going to look different for me than it does for you. But my mission is to let him love people through me wherever I'm at, whatever that looks like. So then if I said, hey, what, what does God want to do through you? What's God's calling on your life? If you said, oh, nothing, yeah, wrong answer. Okay, number two. Um, oh, I know, God wants me to, um, to buy a private jet and do evangelism services while we fly to the Bahamas. Okay, maybe, maybe, but is this your will for you, or is this God's will for you? See, I need to ask God what he wants from me. And then number three, well, yeah, you know, maybe I should do, I'm sure God does have something he wants me to do, but I'm too busy. I'll I'll do it later. Someday would be the wrong time. So um, three ways that you can figure out what is it that God wants you to do Ask him who he made you to be. Ask him to show you your skills and your passions. And ask him to show you the opportunities that are right in front of you. And where those three data points intersect, it's quite likely that God may want you to do that. Whatever that is. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful for how you continue to work in people's lives. I'm so thankful for the way that you have given us sight, for the way that you have opened our eyes to who you are. And God, I would ask that you would give each one of us the, the boldness and the clarity that we need to, to receive what you have for us and to allow you to, to love people through us in whatever way that looks like. God, don't let us be the type that would resist you or, or dismiss you. Let us, to, let us really encounter you in an intimate way. And we want to see you more clearly, God,